The opinions expressed in these materials represent the personal views of the participants and do not necessarily represent the opinions of Salient. This information is neither an offer to sell nor a solicitation of any offer to buy any securities. Any offering or solicitation will be made only to eligible investors and pursuant to any applicable private placement memorandum and other governing documents, all of which must be read in their entirety. Reference to any third party, specific product, process, or service by trade name, trademark, or otherwise does not constitute or imply endorsement, recommendation, or favoring by salient. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Epsilon Theory Podcast. I'm Michael Correo, Director of Investor Relations and Communications at Salient. I'm joined today in the Big Apple by our Chief Investment Strategist and author of Epsilon Theory, Dr. Ben Hunt. How are you, Ben? I'm doing great, Michael. Good to be here. Nice to be here, too. Uh, so I loved your last note on uh, called Anthem, and uh, you opened with a very uh, graphic picture and a passage <laughs> from the movie Alien. And I understand today that's what you'd like to talk about, the feeling of alienation. Alienation, right. So I, I set up that note. It started with Alien, and then a quote from Alien Nation, the movie, and then a quote from our old friend Karl Marx on alienation, uh, because I, I think that what Marx had to say about alienation, for, for my money, it's a, the smartest stuff he wrote, uh, because it's it, it's personal. It really is personal. It, it, it's not about... I mean, you can relate it to class struggle and the like, but it's the it's the the one part in in Marx's writings where he's really talking about who are you and 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 how do you lose yourself? What is it about the system that makes one lose oneself? And I've always found that very personally powerful. And I I I wrote something in that note, and I wanted to start off this podcast with this. And I wanted to do it alone also because it's kind of a, a it's a personal thing, right? Because I said in the, the note that that I used to be a patriotic guy and I used to be a fundamental investor. And then 2008 happened. It's important to me to talk about that a bit as, as much for me to kind of, you know, exercise these, these old ghosts. But I also think it's, it's, it's useful for investors, particularly those who, who might not have been um, so involved in the markets in 2008, you know, it, it still just seems like yesterday to me, and I think to, to to lots of us. But you know, I can't believe I'm saying this, but you know, getting old, and you know, there there's so many people in the the markets today who were either tangentially involved or not involved at all. They don't know what that was like in 2008, or even if they experienced it, I, I think there's there's real something to be gained from looking at it through these lenses of game theory and in history because I, I really think that to understand why I became alienated from both our industry or the or the business of fundamental investing but also from being as patriotic as I was before I think one has to understand, the uh, this this is going to sound technical, but how the financial system works in terms of its funding, and I know people eyes glaze over already, you know, by saying, "Oh, the funding of the financial system." But it's so important to think about this. I, I really believe 
what funding is. So, so let's step back. You know, what, what does a bank or an investment bank or any sort of financial institution do? They, they lend money, right, for a, for a, for a longer for some period of years, and they get paid back that with interest. So they make money. So where does that money come from? The, the money that they lend out, where does it come from? That's what we mean by funding. And in the U.S., what we call money center banks, the big banks, most of their funding comes from deposits. All right, so we get that. And so now you can understand, if you kind of think about, you know, it's the 1930s and uh, Jimmy Stewart and running the bank is a wonderful life. You understand how does a run on the bank happen or how does a bank fail? Well, it happens when all your depositors line up and say, give me my money back. Because now you can't fund yourself. You've lost your funding. Now, you know, as we don't live in a Jimmy Stewart world anymore. And so or Greece. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. So what we have today, though, is the way that that certainly investment banks, and by here I mean Bear Stearns, uh, Lehman Brothers, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, the way these financial institutions funded themselves was either through what's called securitization. They, 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 they sell something or they're taking in deposits from, from hedge funds, let's say. Now that's a very different way of funding yourself. And, and, and what I want to talk about with 2008 was how it's that funding situation. That's always the, the breaking point in a financial system because you can be insolvent and you can be okay. I, I mean, I, I mean, this is, yeah, I can I tell you, there have been periods of my life where I have owed more than I have owned, right? Where I've had a negative net worth, right? But you can get by so long as you can continue to fund yourself that the, you know, cash keeps coming in, right? Right. right? And it's the same for banks, right? So you, you're, you're lending this money out. But let's say you had, it's not based on depositors. Let's say you've had to borrow for those, the monies that you then lend out at a higher rate of interest over a longer period of time. And this, this, this whole notion is you sometimes hear people say, well, I'm going to uh, borrow short and lend long. And what that means is I'm, I'm, and so many fi- business models in the financial world are based on this. I'm going to borrow money at a relatively low rate of interest today. It'll have a short duration. I'm going to lend it out at a higher rate of interest over a longer period of time. I'm going to borrow short term and I'm going to lend long term. And that's like this, this built in profit, right? From the differential and in the interest rates is what you sometimes hear bank analysts talk about net interest margin. That's what they're talking about, really. They're talking about what's that difference between the cost of borrowing money in the short term and the, the gain from lending money out on the longer term. And the, the higher that margin, and for people who think in terms of yield curves, and we can talk about what that means, but it's the same thing, right? So for what banks want is that higher interest rate for longer term loans, and a low interest rate short term. That's a steep yield curve, high net interest margins. So that's the that's the profit and loss piece, right? 
But there's another aspect of this, and this is what really took hold in 2008, because, all right, I've, I've got whatever net interest margin I've got. I'm lending out long. I'm borrowing short. Well, what do I do if I can't re-borrow the money to pay back what I owe in the short term? Right? There are two things going on. It's not, it's not just the, the, the profit and loss dynamics of you know, what, am I bar- what rate am I borrowing out and what am I lending out at over a longer period of time. It's actually, can I fund myself in the short period of time? What, what if nobody wants to lend me money when this short-term debt that I've taken on rolls away? What, what, I'll say, okay, well, I'll pay you more interest rate. Well, people say, well, I'm not going to fund you for, for, for any interest rate because I think you're out of business. That's what happened in, in, in 2008. It happened first with, with, with Bear Stearns and then it happened with Lehman Brothers. And I get that. Right, they made these bad decisions. They were borrowing short, lending long, and they couldn't fund themselves. It's not the it's not the insolvency that gets you; it's the illiquidity. That's if, if there's one message to get across. It's yeah, you can have a negative net worth, but it's when you're not liquid, that's when it hits the fan. And that's what happened in 2008, first with Bear Stearns and and, and then with with Lehman. So why do I say I used to be a patriotic guy? Well, because the reaction, the government reaction to this illiquidity that was in the system, some of the government reaction was was exactly what the government should do. And I'm thinking about what the Fed did in March of 2009 when they said, you know what, we are going to flood the world with liquidity. Listen, that that is what a central bank is supposed to do, to provide that emergency response, to be that lender of last resort, to put money, liquidity into the system. I get that, and I wholeheartedly approve. Now, we went down a long rabbit hole there, and just like in the 1930s, emergency government action becomes permanent government policy. That's certainly what we saw here. Again, we saw in the 1930s also. That's a different story. Now, what I want to talk about, about what really, I feel, ripped away from me the, the pleasant fiction that we were living in a world where big banks didn't control the political dynamic and political action or, or reaction, it was in some of the other uh, policies that were instituted. And in particular, there was one, uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to mention really uh, two the first that happened in, in, in 2008, uh, so Bear Stearns was in the summer, was in March of 2008. Markets recovered. The, the, I've talked about this before. The narrative was that systemic risk is off the table. We're all going to be fine. And markets got back to really their, their beginning of year highs by May of 2008. And then you started to get the, the, the chipping away and the realization that it wasn't a one-off thing with Bear Stearns, that all of the big investment banks were in the same business. They had the same business model. They were doing the same, I'll call it chicanery, around uh, hiding how levered they were. And Lehman went out in September of that year. AIG was bailed out, meaning the government took it over. 
and, and that's that's not what happened with Lehman, right? So so the, I want to talk about AIG first. I, I get it. AIG was this enormous insurance company that again done all this the borrowing short and lending long, and they were no longer able to fund themselves. The government took them over, but it's what the government did with the obligations that AIG had that was the first inkling to me that this is not right, because what the government did was they paid off all of AIG's counterparties, a hundred cents on the dollar. One of the first things they did. And who are those counterparties? Well, they are the investment banks, and we can name the names again by the beginning of the of the of the podcast. They paid them off a hundred cents on the dollar, and that's just not that's not right. That's not right. There has to be an assignment of losses for our again, this pleasant fiction that we believe in with markets for it to, to mean anything. There has to be an ability to assign losses. The second thing they did was the, the Temporary Liquidity Guarantee Program, the TLGP. And this was in, if memory serves, I think late October of, of, of 2008. And, and I actually think this is the program that did the most to save the system but here's how they saved it. The, the, the U.S. Treasury, this is not the Fed, this is the U.S. Treasury, came out and said, if you are a bank, it's called a bank holding company, if you're a bank holding company, then you're, you're essentially under the, the purview of the, of the federal government. If you're a bank holding company, you may issue senior unsecured debt. You can fund yourself and... That debt, unsecured, meaning you're not backing it up with assets, it's not collateralized, it's just saying, I'll pay you back one day. That senior unsecured debt will now receive the full faith, should be treated as receiving the full faith and credit of the United States government. The full faith and credit of the United States government. Within a week, the investment banks, who were not bank holding companies, Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, they became bank holding companies. And over the next several months, I think, as I recall, Goldman Sachs issued about $30 billion in senior unsecured debt at a very nice interest rate because it's now backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government to fund themselves. And that's what saved them. Right. And then they it wasn't TARP. Right. And if you act, if you for anyone who remembers Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan and some of the other firms that said, we don't want to participate in TARP. Right? They didn't need that sort of forced recapitalization because they had the benefit of the Temporary Liquidity Guarantee Program. Now, I'll tell you, as, as an investor running my hedge fund, I, I made good money on that. Right? So as soon as that proclamation came out, you know, we went out and we bought, because we, we recognized immediately what this meant, went out and bought Goldman and, and Morgan Stanley uh, debt that was at the time trading at 75 cents on the dollar. Uh, and within a week, right, it's trading at 95 cents on the dollar. I mean, that's what these sort of political catalysts do. But at the, at the, at the same time, so I, you know, I profited by it, but it, it, it really alienated me from my, my beliefs about how Again, these, these pleasant fictions that we have about how markets are supposed to work. Uh, it, there, there's so many ramifications of this. There's 
you know, Warren Buffett at Berkshire Hathaway. And between 2004 and 2007, he decided to fund himself with $5 billion worth of what are called naked puts on the market. Now, what does that mean? It means that you go out and you sell this derivative. You're not backing up with your own cash. You're doing it to get cash. And basically the bet was for these big insurance companies who are on the other side of this, yes, we'll pay you $5 billion. But 20 years from now, you know, we have the option that you have to pay us if the market is trading below where we are striking this, this option. It's basically, Warren Buffett said, I'm going to get $5 billion from you today. And I'm going to lend to you. I'm going. I'm going to have this obligation to you twenty years out. Again, yeah, borrowing short and alive. Well, that's right. That's right. Right. <laughs> right. 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 It's so. It's amazing way. This is a way of Berkshire to fund themselves. I. I. I always suggest to people when you're looking at the financial system, whether you're looking at Deutsche Bank or you're looking at the European banks, if you're looking at U.S. banks, it's not just looking at their loan book. It's not just looking at, okay, what percentage of these are non-performing loans? What are the net interest margins, et cetera? Always have to look at how are they funding themselves? And is there a mismatch? Is there a risk in their funding mechanism? Because it's never the insolvency that gets you. It's always the illiquidity when people won't lend you that money that you need to have to keep your business going. The government, the U.S. government, look, there's no other way to just say it, bailed out some and let others fail. And I, I get it. I do. I do. But it was the degree to which the winners were bailed out mm. so that, as best I can tell, no price was paid, either in an assignment of a loss in uh, any sort of sanction, either legal or financial, to the winners, where, of course, massive losses were assigned to the losers. And it, 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 it strikes me as a fundamental unfairness, and it really shook my, or my, my faith and, and, and made me a more alienated person for my, for my own country. I bring this up because 2000, for a lot of reasons, I wrote about it, but 2016, I, I, I'm getting the same feeling. <laughs> I'm getting the same feeling. It's, it's, it's not hitting me as hard as it did in 2008. And like I say, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm talking kind of against my own economic interests. This was a career year for me, 2008 was, in terms of investing in economics. But talking about who I am and what I believe, 2016 doesn't hit me as hard because it's focused not in the world of investing and the banks and the financial system. It's really focused in our, our media and our political system. But I, I, I see in 2016, again, how the pleasant fiction of media neutrality has just been, please, I mean, I mean that, that skin has just been ripped away. And we see those naked sinews of power beneath. And, and as in 2008, look, I get it. I do. I, I understand. The alternative in 2008 would have been worse. I get it. And I get it in 2016, the alternative 
of letting Donald Trump win was worse or is worse. And look, we're doing this podcast. We don't want to timestamp it. The vote hasn't happened yet. So I don't know. I don't know. But I can tell you that, that, that clearly that fiction of media neutrality has been ripped away and that the uh, this is not to be conspiratorial. This is just it's just so freaking obvious, right? In the same way it was obvious in 2008, they're going to be law, they're going to be losers, and you've got the status quo institutions, the government, the banks, the media supporting certain winners. As in 2008, what bugs me the most, right, is that there's no price to be paid right, for the by, by the winners. There should be a price paid. And I don't know if there will be or how that gets paid. But I'm, I'm getting those glimmers of that same feeling. It's a very alienating feeling for me. And that's why I wanted to do this kind of one-on-one podcast, because I'm wrestling with this. And I, I'm trying to think, well, what does one do about this? Because I tell you, I got so many emails and phone calls from that most recent piece I wrote about being feeling alienated from your country and from your 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 work, your investments. People sharing that, that, that same feeling. And, and so the question, well, well, this is not a fun way to go through life. Let's let's figure what, what is one to be done? Because what we are becoming, what I'm becoming, I feel myself becoming, is actually my favorite comic book character. So it's the it's a, a guy named uh, Karnak. You Johnny Carson. No, 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 no. That's that's Karnak with a C. This is Karnak oh. with a K. K A R N A K. He's a he's one of the uncanny inhumans. No? Not that, familiar no, with them. Okay. All right. No. So so here's the deal with the inhumans. The inhumans, each one of them has a special power. You know, it's a, this is an old trope of, mm-hmm. of, of lots of fiction and fantasy fiction. You know, what's what's your special power? And but the, the that's that's the that's that's what makes the inhumans inhumans. Each one has got the special power that reveals itself. Well, Karnak to me has the coolest power I've and I just think it's just amazingly brilliant. Karnak's power is that he sees the flaw in all things. That's miserable. It is. It's incredibly powerful. Think how powerful that is. And and in the comic book world, this is, it's everything. He sees the flaw. You see everyone's weakness or everything's weakness. Everything's weakness. Uh, Structural weakness in a a building, uh, uh, the weakness of an idea. I mean, death, right? He finds the flaw in death, so he can't be killed. It's, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's such, when you take it deep enough, it's an incredible power to see the flaw in all things and to take advantage of that. But you're right. He's, he's, he is the perfect short seller, right? A, it, where, where his entire world is just filled with seeing the flaws in all things. And so he, he, you know, he lives out in this desert in this basically tower where he stares at boulders all day, right? But, and, and I feel myself becoming Karnak, right? Because I, I think I've got the right perspective on this stuff and seeing things with the right lenses. And I, and I, I find myself seeing the flaw in all things. I don't want to live that way. And so what I, I try to get across in the note, well, well, how does one get out? We, we have to find, and each one of us has to find in our own way, 
how do we reverse the the, the alienation, the separation? Because that's what alienation is. It's a separation. Marx talked about our separation from our work and our time, who we are. That our labor becomes this alien being. That we sell it for the, for all of our lives, right? And I'm talking about alienation from a, a feeling of belonging to my country, uh, an alienation from from what used to give me pleasure and intrinsic joy in my work of doing fundamentally oriented investing. How do we get it back? Each one is going to answer it differently. For me. I keep coming back to this notion that, that my anthem, and this is what we've got to find. We've got we've all got to find an anthem, a song in a you know a major key in four four time, right? Not some bittersweet you know minor key music that can inspire. And 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 for me, I'll, I'll share this story and as an introduction to this. Every year, I take my kids to the Maker Fair. Uh, you know, we started going seven years or so ago, and there's this magazine called Make Magazine, and it's this concept of making, which is similar to building, building, but a building's only a part of it. Making, the idea of that we need to make, is a bigger notion than building. So, what what sort of things do people make? Anything and everything. Anything and everything. It is it is it is the at the heart of like you know 3D printing or these Arduino chips. Where you you know you build your own drone and you program it yourself. It is it is it is where I see more creativity, innovation, but it's all coming up from individuals. That's the key thing. It's all coming up from individuals. These are the the, the idea of a maker fair. Is that is what a, a an old country fair used to be, where you would come in, you would join in a group. And you would show people your wares, but in this case, it's what you've made. And I always feel so inspired after going to these, and it's why I take my kids there, because they get inspired as well. Because there's an individualism associated with the idea of make, of making. It's not sponsored by a good, it's the antithesis of this statist approach that is inherent in the bailouts of 2008 and the efforts of 2016. It's the antithesis of that. It's a true grassroots phenomenon where it embodies those parts of small-l liberalism that I love, the notion of, of individualism, individual rights, and limited government. Government absolutely has a role, an important role, but it's limited it's limited. It's not the it's not the basis of how we're coming together. But what it combines that with is, and this is the anthem for me, this the the of, of technology and problem solving, which is, you know, there's a notion of progress and small l liberalism when you look at Adam Smith and the like, but it's kind of off to the side. For for me, the idea of of uh, the anthem of of making and these maker fairs is really central. The notion of of, of technology and creativity is really central to it. And there's a, a a wonderful another famous old economist uh, Joseph uh, Schumpeter, who wrote about what he called the creative destruction of technology. And what I'm thinking about, and what I want to try to write about, and what I want to think about how do you make investments in. 
real assets, real things, tangible things, but also companies that that can make intangible things, but they all are making things. They're, 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 they're not part of this borrowing short and lending long. They're, 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 they're part of the making world, not part of the financial world. So that's the intellectual property that you've talked about before. It, it is, because I, when I think about real assets, I, I think it's intellectual property too. I, I don't want to have, I, I want to try to bring these good 18th century ideas of small L liberalism, of individualism, of limited government, but it's got to be married with the world as it is today, which is a world where the technology, it it's not just different in a linear sense. It really does create in different ways of, of society working with each other, whether it's with our, so our, our media, whether it's with our transportation, whether it's with our, our computing power and non-human intelligences. We've gotten stuck in markets. We've gotten stuck in markets, and our only answer has been more and more state intervention. And we've gotten stuck in markets because we're, we, we, we all feel the pressures of these technologies changing the way we invest and the way we work. We've seen the state intervene and, and pick the winners and the losers in our financial system. And it, we, we need a different sort of answer, one that, that, that rejects the, 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 I'll call it the, the old spells of statism but marries it with this technology. And, it's, it, and what I want to try to do in some of these future notes is bring in some of these ideas of, of Schumpeter, who's talking about the creative destruction of, but he's, he's specifically talking about technology, but he's applying it to markets. And I think those are the sorts of, of companies we need to think about. Those are the sorts of politics that we need to think about to find our own anthem and not be alienated from either our government or our, or our markets. So it's a big task, but that's, that's kind of what I'm about right now is trying to find that because I've, I've lived through this once in 2008 and feeling it again in 2016 and it's time to do something about it. All right. I'll get my hard hat. Let's go for it. Let's go make. All right. Until next time, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us.